Welcome to Innovator Die, a podcast about innovation and digitalization in aviation. I'm your host, Lorenzo Murzilli. Today's podcast is about remote identification in a UTM environment. What it is, why it matters, and what are the five keywords to understand and remember when talking remote ID. Be mindful, however, we don't want to talk about high-level concepts here, but we want to know how do we make these concepts real. We want to talk about implementation. With us today, we have Benoit Cudi, Digital Transformation Architect with the Innovation and Digitalization Unit at the Swiss Federal Office of Civil Aviation. Welcome, Benoit. Hello. So, Benoit, what is Remote ID and why does it matter? So, Remote ID is simply a way for anyone, really, to um, know who is flying. And here we're speaking about drones. And so, today, if you look around and you see a drone, you have no way of understanding what's happening. And so this can, you know, create worries for people and it's a, it's a problem for authorities. So now Remote ID will give you this information uh, and it will be available in two flavors. So <clears throat> it will be local, so meaning that the drone itself will broadcast its, its identity or networked, meaning that you will be able to access it on the Internet. So local and network you mentioned. So why do we need this, both of these solutions? Couldn't one be enough? Yeah, and that's a, a great question because indeed, the if you do it locally, the great thing is that you don't need any additional infrastructure. It's simply there and you have an app on your phone and when a drone is around, you see it. So it's, it's very convenient in that sense. But on the other hand, how often are you really there next to a drone? Let's say if you're the police, you might be, you know, somewhere else and you still want to access this information. So whenever there's network, then it's great to have this information available. What's important to understand is that it's not a tracking device that we're talking about, meaning that you'll be able to look two weeks uh, behind what happened. Uh, the standard that we're using is only uh, targeting 60 seconds. So you have a, a fairly short period of time to, to react and, and that are part of the things we'll assess. But the idea is not to create a tracking system for drones, but really just to be able to know what's happening around you in real time. That's great. We've also heard about uh, regulation coming that makes this mandatory uh, versus the idea that uh, it could be implemented on a voluntary basis. How do you see this? So at the moment we are indeed implementing the network part of the, the remote ID uh, for drones uh, in Switzerland. So the local part, the direct part where it will be available via uh, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or something like that, uh, this is part of the next regulation coming uh, early next year in January 2021. Um, there's another regulation called the U-Space regulation that is still you know, in progress, let's say. And this one is looking into the network part of remote ID. And so you always have the two ways of doing it. You can wait for the regulation to be available and then do it. But if you make a mistake in the regulation, it's challenging because you cannot come back. Or you can start early, exactly what we're doing, learn with the industry, with the users, the operators, and based on that also inform the regulatory process. And that's why it's so important for us to be now in that voluntary stage in Switzerland where we are really learning with everybody. So as an operator, you won't have to use it, 
But of course, if you start doing it, you'll already be ready once it becomes mandatory. All right, that's great. Thank you. Thank you very much. So let's speak about another keyword or two, actually, centralized versus decentralized. It's almost the greatest dilemma of our times in UTM these days. So shed some light, Ben. Why decentralized? How does it work? Why is it better for those who propose it uh, compared to a centralized solution? Yeah, and, and that is another uh, very important point indeed. So uh, when I was saying you can access it on the internet, uh, of course you could imagine that, okay, as an operator, I send my data to that one entity that will just get all of the data from everybody and then make it publicly available. So that could be a way of doing it. However, uh, experience has shown that it's not the best way of doing it. And there are mainly two reasons. The, the first reason is more from a from a technical point of view, it is considered today much more robust to have a decentralized system where you have several entities managing uh, a system. However, you could still have a decentralized system from a pure IT perspective with a single entity. So let's say it is better in that sense, but not necessarily uh, you know, the only reason why we're doing, doing it that way. The, the other reason is really around costs. Um, the industry is coming together to provide that platform where they'll manage their own data and then share it with others. So if you're small and you have not a lot of customers, you will still have a, a small infrastructure. If you're big and you have you know, millions of customers worldwide, then you have a large in infrastructure. And so everybody pays their, their fair share in a way and, and, and contributes to the level uh, of the, what they can. And in that sense, we think that the, the whole system is going to be significantly cheaper to run if anyone drops for any reason, because you go out of business or because you want to do something else, uh, that's not a big issue for the, for the network as a whole. So globally, um, our take, and I think this is now, there's a wide consensus around it, is that it is more robust and cheaper. Great. Let me ask you a more technical question here, because you mentioned that there is some sort of an underlying platform that's going to make this work, right? And uh, I mean, as far as I am concerned, as far as I know, this platform was kind of a technical challenge and unless until like one, one year ago or something like that. What has changed? What is this? How does it work? Yes, so there's a piece of infrastructure called DSS for Discovery and Synchronization Service. And, and what it does, think of it like a, like a book, like a, how do you call that, where you, um, uh, where you can look for people. Yeah, phone book, exactly, <laughs> that's the one. It's so old, I can't even remember that name. But, <laughs> so a phone book, it's pretty much what it is. So it's not that it's a single piece of infrastructure, but look at it as several companies coming together and whenever there's an operation somewhere, you can query that, let's say it's not a database, but that phone book to know who else is operating in an area. And then you only talk to those who are operating in that area, because the last thing you want to do is every time you query anything, you ask everyone and you, so you shout to the world, hey, I'm, I'm here, help me, I, I need data. No, that is absolutely not the way we want to do it. And so there has been a, a tremendous effort by the industry and, and it's quite impressive to see how the DSS has been uh, implemented. And if you look, uh, there's even uh, an implementation that is open source and that we are going to use, um, which is called the InterUSS. And I mean, we, it's as a SUSE remote ID implementation, um, not that we as FOCA, we, we don't do this kind of stuff. We, we just regulate, right? But the industry is going to, to use this uh, open source software 
that is the implementation. So they all know exactly what's happening. They all use the same kind of um, software and therefore it's very easy for them to um, you know, uh, share data. But if you want to do it differently, there's a standard also and you can build it differently if you want. So the idea is to be as flexible as you can. That's great. So I think, I think the picture is kind of clear from a technical point of view. Now let's talk about what is needed more from a, let's say, administration regulatory point of view to make this work. I see when you speak, we are speaking about several different actors. We have the DSS and those are going to provide the DSS. Uh, of course, we have the USPs, so those that provide the service. And in the case of Remote ID, there will be the, the Remote ID service providers. And I understand that there will be also other roles like display providers and display app providers. And on top of all of that, of course, we have the, the government ourselves, the Swiss FOCA, that is somehow trying to tie all the different loose ends together. So it seems to me that the constellation is quite complex. And how do you make this work? How do you, how do you make the constellation function from a contractual point of view? Are these people going to sign service level agreement with each other? How many are we going to need? How do you see that? Yeah, and, and so it is definitely not one of those areas where you can just briefly look at it and everything is clear when you come to the implementation. Because again, we want to be flexible. So we could say, you know, if you provide remote ID, you must do everything. So you must uh, be part of the, the implementation of the DSS and then you must uh, make sure you collect data and share data and show data. But why would we do that? Why maybe there are companies who would be just excellent in one of those areas and, and, and want to do it differently. So we, we didn't uh, go that way. And therefore, because you can do only part of the, the different parts of the network, um, then it gets a little bit more complicated. And from a country point of view, uh, when you're trying to implement that, of course, you, you need to make sure that companies agree on what they're doing and how they're doing it. And so, sure, there's a standard, but that's not enough, right? How do you make, how do you know that they're going to comply with the standard? Uh, and so there's definitely an administrative process on our side that we try to make as small as possible, where we'll be saying, listen, just get together and, and agree on how you're going to not only um, share data, what kind of data, but also how you're going to do it. And so this is actually already happening and, and the contract is going to be signed. It is an industry contract among the participants of the network. And from our perspective as, as FOCA, what we're saying is that, hey, if you want to be part of the network remote ID in Switzerland, you must have signed this contract. So, of course, there are question marks. This is pretty new. I, I would say uh, that it is cutting edge in many regulatory areas because it works as long as everybody complies and there are maybe not too many uh, participants. Um, because when you change the contract, of course, then you need to update and everybody has to sign it again. So. At this stage, we don't think there will be too many participants and by, you know, it will be maybe a dozen uh, or, or two once we are really set up. Uh, and so we think it's manageable, but it's very exciting to try that because you really see how you minimize um, the, the bureaucratic process in a way and, and maximize the flexibility for, for the industry while having that very, very high level of transparency um, and, and efficiency. So we, we like it a lot. That's exciting. Let me ask you about 
authentication and authorization of all these players. Like we're speaking about the digital system. How do we know that, that the people that are connecting are exactly the one that needs to be connecting? How do we kick them out if we need to kick them out? How do you see that part of the network? Yes, and, and that is something that is very important and pretty new for, um, for us. So at this stage, we are going to be the gatekeeper and we is FOCA uh, of the network. And the way we're going to do it is that we are going to run what is called an authorization server. Uh, and look at that a little bit like when you give access to a, um, a website uh, using you know, Google or Facebook or Twitter, you know, you say, oh, I'm using Google to sign in. Well, you give in a way authority to these websites to access another um, platform. So what we're going to do, we're going to say, well, you have to go through us, through FOCA, to get a token, which is the way we call these uh, keys, um, to access a network. And if you don't behave well, the, the, the reaction we'll have is that we'll, we'll remove the token. And so you won't have access to the DSS, first so that that shared piece of infrastructure for sharing data and in addition you won't be able to share data with the other participants because they will also ask for this token whenever you share data among yourself so i don't know if this is going to stay with us uh, for forever but i think at this stage to really understand and make sure that the, the network is as good as it can possibly be um, it's a, it is a very um, lean and, and very yeah, efficient and simple process. So to give you an idea, setting up a, um, a server like that is a commodity today. It's not that we had to hire developers and make crazy investments. It is something you buy and there are many solutions out there, uh, you know, uh, get your credit card and for 20 or $30 a month at the level we're talking, you're set up. <laughs> That's amazing. Fantastic. Uh, last question for you, Ben, is uh, about Detect and Avoid and the Remote ID. Uh, we have been hearing, you know, and seeing somehow what I would define a little bit of an abuse of the system, where we, where we are saying, now that I have drones on this uh, network remote ID, I could, in theory, get myself like an iPad, put it on a helicopter and, and flying around, you know, avoiding drones using the iPad and the, and the remote ID solution that is provided in there. Can you tell us about that? What, do you, what is your view about it and why probably this is not a good idea? Yeah, so, and, and here probably it's a, it's a matter of different point of view between being a regulator and being the industry. Um, we're more conservative for sure. So detect and avoid is simply a way, you know, to not hurt, not, not collide with anything. And so part of remote ID is you broadcast your identity, but you also broadcast additional information such as your location, such as your speed and your direction. And so, you know, when you think about it, you say, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great source of information to avoid anyone else in the sky. And that is true. Uh, until you look at the at the standard and, and at the regulation and, and why they've been built. They are first and foremost for for security and for public acceptance. And, and so the level of data quality that you have is not really good enough at this stage so that we as authorities would feel confident using those without further investigation. And so maybe down the line we will definitely be in a position to use something like that but that would require a, a lot of work so is that the best way i'm not quite sure um and so maybe you know other are are more daring but we have to be when it, it comes to to safety a bit more conservative 
Thank you, thank you, Ben. So in summary, what have we learned? Uh, we learned the remote ID is a feature that will allow us to know where drones are, not in a tracker point of view, but know what the drones are and who they are around us for a limited amount of time when we see them. We learned that we can do this with a local solution or a network solution, both with their advantages and disadvantages. We have learned that probably first will come a voluntary compliance to a remote ID and later on we will be imposing that mandatorily by, by law. We have learned that this implementation of remote ID can be done in a decentralized manner, probably more robust and cheaper than doing it in a centralized way. And it need, need, this needs a lot of coordination as well between the industry and between the industry and the regulator. And last but not least, we learned that remote ID should not be used to do detect and avoid. So if you are doing that now or if you plan to do that in the future, please refrain to do so. So thank you, Benoit, for your presence here and see you all next time. And that's all of this episode of Innovate or Die, a podcast about innovation, digitalization and aviation. If you'd like to listen to more of such conversations, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast or stay in touch by signing up to our newsletter at www.foca.admin.ch. In case you have any questions, contact us on LinkedIn on Swiss U Space Implementation. This podcast was produced by the Innovation and Digitalization Unit of the Federal Office of Civil Aviation. Thank you for listening. Thank you.